Hello and welcome to the CDI podcast. I'm Dylan Edgel, Assistant Director of the University of Central Arkansas Center for Community and Economic Development. And I'm Emily Cooper Yates, Project Coordinator for CCED. Our guests today come to us all the way from Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi. Dr. Joe Fertizzi and Jeremy Murdoch both work at the Stennis Institute of Government at MSU as Project Director and Research Associate, respectively. The Stennis Institute offers training and technical assistance to communities in Mississippi to promote civic engagement in the political process. We at CCED work with Joe and Jeremy to utilize strategic doing in our Community Catalyst Program, working with five communities in Arkansas to spark citizen-led community development. Joe and Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dylan. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Excited to be with you. Uh, to start us off, can you both tell us a little bit about your careers and how you ended up working together at the Stennis Institute? Sure, uh, I'll start. So my career started uh, pretty traditional with planning, actually. I got out of school and I was a city planner in Germantown, Tennessee. Uh, I started off doing local municipal planning for several years before I had an opportunity to move back to Mississippi. Uh, I got a job with the university and I started working with the extension service at first. So I was providing uh, training and assistance to governments all over Mississippi, continuing to do you know, pretty much that traditional planning assistance, helping develop comprehensive plans or economic development plans or long range plans. Uh, then in about 2010, I had the opportunity to go with another unit here on campus called the Community Action Team. And that's actually where I met Jeremy and he and I started working together. Um, and so I, you know, continued to work with communities in that traditional planning sense. And, uh, you know, I kind of took an interesting shift about about eight years ago or so, I, I can never forget it. I was actually had one of those aha moments, you know, where the light bulb goes off. I was sitting in uh, a meeting. We were kind of meeting with the local community and talking about like economic development strategies that they were interested in pursuing. And I remember it was a community we had worked with before. I'd actually been part of a team that helped develop a plan for them. So during that meeting, I remember looking over at this individual's desk and there was the plan that we helped them create like two or three years ago. And I could tell that the plan hadn't been touched at all. I, I mean, I could actually see the dust around it where it had been sitting for so long. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, something's not working. Uh, you know, something in this approach really isn't working because the community was good. You know, I'd like to think the plan that we helped them develop was good. But, you know, why weren't we getting anything done? Why were we coming back and trying to address the same issues that we were addressing before? And, and it really kind of had this moment where it had me want to begin to shift a little bit about the work we're doing and look at less at traditional planning and more about, you know, how do we help groups collaboratively take the plans that they have? Because I think a lot of communities have plans, they just have trouble implementing them. So we started kind of focusing our efforts on how can we help groups come together, break down those silos and begin to take collective action. And, uh, you know, I've been working with Jeremy and the rest has been history since then. Awesome. And Jeremy, how about you? Yeah, so my background is actually in landscape architecture. I have a uh, bachelor's and master's from Mississippi State in that. And a lot of people, I guess, hear that and focus on the, the landscaping portion and think about plants and, and flowers and things. And it's actually a very broad profession. It goes from residential design all the way up to regional planning and everything in between. So it's very broad. I found my interest to be in that community level design and planning. And so that's, you know, urban design city planning, how cities grow and develop, and that's where my interest was. And so when I started my career after grad school, uh, I worked with the community action team 
as well, started there, and then eventually we were merged in with the Stennis Institute. But luckily we've been doing pretty much the same work, similar work all throughout that. And a lot of my early work was geared toward being that expert from out of town with the briefcase coming in, doing big ideas for downtown revitalization and streetscape plans and highway corridor enhancements and really focusing on that, that built environment. And, you know, uh, eventually I started to see how policy impacted design. You can have the greatest design in the world, but if your ordinances and codes don't allow that, you know, it's as good as you can be. So I started getting more interested in the policy side of things and planning and zoning. And that's where Joe and my interests kind of overlap there. He came out from a policy side. I came from a design side. So we learned a lot throughout that. And so started educating leaders on good planning and design principles and things like that. But, you know, I would go back to these communities, similar to what Joe said, three, five, eight years later, and nothing had changed. You know, we, we gave them these great ideas and these big plans. And I made renderings and all these things, but nothing had been done. So that would get frustrating after a while. And we just wonder why um, they were implementing these ideas. And similar to Joe, I had that light bulb moment at some point that actually came through a program we were working on, I think around 2012. I don't know if I'm going to go off on a tangent on that program, but it was basically working with volunteer groups to implement these short-term uh, community improvement projects. When I say short-term, it was six months, so really quick from start to finish. We'd give them a little $3,000 investment to help them with that. And I was amazed at what these people were able to accomplish. And it wasn't the typical chambers of commerce and bank presidents and people like that that are typically trying to do these things. These were just general public volunteers getting this stuff done and doing it in a very short amount of time. And so that's where I learned and had a kind of a light bulb about what it takes to make change happen in communities. And it wasn't these big silver bullet fix it all projects, these big grand ideas that were big money, big budgets. It wasn't the million dollar grants that was gonna fix these communities. It was these small, I feel like, it was these small scale doable projects that created that spark in the community and eventually led to these other, other things and activities. So that was a big light bulb moment for me and Joe and I were kind of going through that uh, similar time frame there. And so that's when we both kind of shifted our careers to work more with how do you help these groups implement these ideas um, and actually take action? And I felt like we were, uh, had a pretty good handle on that type thing. And then I think around 2015 is when Joe stumbled on uh, the strategic doing concept that we're gonna talk about more. And that we felt like that really helped us fill in some of the gaps that we were missing. We could, had a good handle on how to take action and how to make change happen, but we weren't connecting it to the broader community and these other groups and these things. And, strategic doing brought in the collaboration piece and how to make that happen. Uh, and like Joe said, since then, most of our work's been focused on helping groups and, and organizations break down silos and take collective action and create that spark uh, that they need in their community. All right, so you guys have kind of already touched on this question a little, but strategic doing is a new concept for a lot of people. Can you describe the strategic doing process and how it differs from a traditional strategic planning process for organizations and communities? Sure. First off, that's a great question. So uh, I was really kind of glad you asked it. And I'm glad you noticed the difference uh, between strategic planning and strategic doing. So uh, before I kind of jump right into that, I'd like to kind of guess I give a little context for where strategic doing came from, because I think that helps. Through the work, as Jeremy was saying, we've been fortunate to work with communities all over 
the southeast, some in the Midwest, and just throughout the region. And, and as we go in there and work with them, one thing's pretty clear, I think, and pretty universal, and that's that our communities are facing some really complex, difficult challenges. Uh, that's even before the COVID-19 pandemic that we're dealing with, which no doubt has just made these challenges even harder. But for a long time, our communities have been facing some really, really difficult challenges, challenges, you know, related to poverty, challenges related to education, to health care, uh, challenges related to economic development and growth, right? And to, if we're really honest, for all our good efforts and best of intentions, a lot of times we're falling short in addressing those challenges. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time kind of struggling with that. It was figuring out, okay, why are we falling short? You know, what's wrong? Because uh, it's not because people don't care, because I think they do. And it's not because groups like ourselves or yourselves or others from the outside that are trying to help don't care, because we do. But we could not figure out, you know, where, why are we falling short? And while we don't have the answer for all of it, I do think there's two kind of fundamental reasons that are important to understand of why we might be falling short. One is that these challenges that communities are facing are rooted in issues that are extremely complex and that they defy any easier single answer, right? We've been in communities all over and I can tell you there hasn't been a single one that I've been in where the city can tell the county what to do or where the county can tell the school district what to do or where the school district can tell the chamber of commerce what to do, you know, because they don't report to one another, but yet they all want good things for the community. So they kind of struggle with that. The second reason why I think we kind of uh, have struggled and fallen short, besides that there's no one person in charge, because if you go to the communities and ask them who's in charge, no one's wearing a name tag that says I control it all, right? The other challenge we run into, I think, is that we use the wrong tools. Uh, I firmly believe that tools are designed for a specific purpose. You know, a hammer was designed to drive a nail, a screwdriver will turn and drive a screw, right? So when it comes to the work that we do, the work of community and economic development, the tool that we've typically turned to to address our complex challenges it has been traditional strategic planning. And, and I'll say that while I think very effective for helping us critically think about challenges, when it comes to implementation and doing strategic doing or strategic planning, I'm sorry, falls short, you know. And, and there's reasons for that. I think to understand why strategic planning isn't working for a lot of our communities is you have to understand the environment in which it was created. So strategic planning, it was actually born out of the military uh, during World War II, and it was designed specifically for kind of a hierarchy, for a command and controlled environment. It was specifically designed for relatively stable, slow-moving environments. Well, unfortunately, our communities are neither one of those things. Our communities aren't hierarchies. As we said, there's no one in charge of them. You can't tell each other what to do. And I would argue that our communities now more than ever are not stable and they're not slow moving. Things are moving faster and faster at us. Our problems are coming faster. And we need an approach that is better suited for that environment. And that's really where kind of strategic doing came from. It was developed by a friend and colleague of ours, Ed Morrison. Ed is, uh, he was formerly with Purdue, University. Now he's with the University of North Alabama. Uh, and he had been working kind of in this idea of how do you develop strategies specifically for loosely connected networks, for situations where no one's in charge. Um, and strategic doing was designed to do that. It was specifically designed as a process to bring people together, form action oriented collaborations quickly, move those collaborations towards measurable outcomes, 
and really let them be flexible and make adjustments along the way. So it, it's, it is different than strategic uh, planning. And I'm glad you said that. Some of the ways that when I think about it and I think about how it's different, one is, like I said, the environment in which it was created. One, strategic planning is structured more for hierarchies, you know, more for command control environments, whereas strategic doing is more for loosely connected networks like our communities. Uh, another way that they're different is kind of how the process is implemented. Uh, tra tra traditional strategic planning, while it does get input from a lot of people, is pretty much a top-down driven approach. Whereas strategic doing is a very collaborative bottom-up approach to how we begin to address our challenges. Um, one obvious difference is within the name. Strategic planning, the end result often is a plan. Whereas strategic doing, the end result and focus is this idea of collection, collective action. How do we move forward and do, do something? Uh, I think another big difference between them to me that I think is important is what I call the relationship between the thinking and the doing. So with a traditional strategic plan, most people that have been through the process, if you ask them about their experience, they would tell you at the very first meeting, very first day, it was fantastic. Said they loved it. They were fired up because they were getting together to, to address a challenge. But then if you go back to them 12 or 18 months later, when they're still in that strategic planning process, they usually feel worn out, drained, tired, you know? And part of that is because with strategic planning, you get together and you critically think. But then there is a long lag often between that thinking and then the actual implementation and doing, you know, and sometimes that lag could be months or even a year. And there's a couple of problems with that. Uh, one is that the longer that lag is between your thinking and your doing, oftentimes the bigger the problem gets. Um, in this space, in this fast paced world, often the problem itself may change. Uh, another problem is that problem may be may get more expensive to address. So there's a lot of drawbacks to it. And often there's such a long lag that by the time you do try to implement something with a strategic plan, because it's been so long since the planning phase, um, you make an assumption along the way and that assumption's wrong. So you got to start planning all over again, right? And so people get frustrated. A big difference is with, strate with strategic doing, what we're doing is combining intentionally our thinking and our doing. We want to bring people together to critically think about something and then we want to go out and try it. Jeremy talked about it before, this small scale, this idea that with strategic doing, we embrace the idea of experimentation. We want to get together, critically think, and then go out and do. We want to critically think and then go out and do, and we're constantly learning from what we're doing. Um, and along that, I guess another, the final big difference I would say is that with a traditional strategic plan, it often starts with kind of visions and these ideas of what we want to do. And even our goals will be these kind of bigger ideas. And a lot of times we'll come up with a goal that we want to do. And once the plan's done, a group will go out and they'll spend their next several months trying to get the resources they need to address that goal or accomplish it. And there are resources that they may not have access to, they may not have permission to use, they may not be available. And groups get frustrated because they have this goal that they want to do, but they don't have the resources to get it done. Well, with strategic doing, it's an asset-based approach. So it starts by saying, okay, first of all, what are the resources that the different groups bring together that they're actually willing to share? And if we put those resources together, what opportunities do those create? So our opportunities are driven by the resources that we have. And because of that, because our opportunities are driven by the resources we have control over, 
there's nothing that can stop these groups from going out and beginning to implement immediately. You know, and that's how we truly start to learn and work our way through some of these challenges. We don't know the answer to them. So we're going to figure out what resources we have. We're going to go try something. We're going to see if it works. If it does, great, we'll scale it up. If it doesn't, we learn from it and we go on to the next thing. Um, so, you know, in the end, to me, what I love and what separates strategic doing from more traditional processes is we believe that transformational change that's going to happen in our communities, it's not going to come from the outside. It's not going to come from Washington, D.C. It won't come from our state capitals. It's not going to come from outside experts like ourselves with briefcases. It's going to come from local community members who are getting together and using the resources they have in new ways and really learning their way through to new solutions. Um, so what we do is we don't believe in identifying, as Jeremy said, that silver bullet or that one big project. What we're doing is we're trying to figure out and get as many smaller projects going as we can to see which ones are successful. And it's more of a swarm effect. So if we can have a swarm of activity all focused on improving education or healthcare or literacy or whatever it is in our community, that's how we're gonna to begin to make change. And with strategic doing, what we do is we basically provide a process or a platform that allows that swarm of activity to happen. That was a really great uh, overview of strategic doing. And, and you talked a little bit about um, that kind of swarm of activity. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of build on that and ask what your biggest successes that, that you guys have seen in the field doing the strategic doing process in communities and organizations that you've, you've worked in. You know, uh, one of my favorite stories and, and one of my favorite ones that we've worked with, we're working with Corinth, Mississippi, which is a small town in Northeast Mississippi. And they had recently completed a big strategic plan or comprehensive plan, I can't remember which one, it's a big plan. They were trying to spark implementation on that. And so they had organized a community meeting, community workshop with about 50 to 60 people that represented a diverse mix of people. I mean, it was high school students, bank presidents, business owners, really, diverse mix of people. We divide them into six teams and we did a strategic doing workshop with them. And one of the teams, a lot of good things came out of that, but my favorite story was one team determined that they wanted to work on changing the community's perception among young people. Not, I mean, it's a great city. It didn't have a bad reputation or anything. It was a great city, but they realized that they were really known for these beautiful historic homes. They've got a lot of civil war history and things like that. And they realized it's probably gonna take a little bit more to attract this next generation than, than those type of things. And they wanted to show that it's a real vibrant, exciting, growing community, not just old Civil War stuff and things like that. And so when you're talking about changing the perception of something, that's a big long-term, large-scale undertaking. And we realize that. So we worked with them to develop, and as part of the process, develop what we call a Pathfinder project, which is a short-term project that can be done in about six months. And for their Pathfinder project, they said they're gonna do a selfie wall. At the time, I had no idea what a, a selfie wall was, and uh, so I learned something that day. But basically, you've seen those big murals that a lot of big cities like Nashville and Memphis and other cities have. They take their selfie in front of it, post it on social media. So their idea was by doing a selfie wall in downtown Corinth, one, it would create a destination downtown to drive people there. Uh, they thought about using a hashtag on it that, that so people would incorporate that into their social media posting so that they could actually track how, how successful it was and track the, the traffic and, and things. And they thought by generating this social media traffic that that would start changing the perception of people. And they see all these people, oh, 
lot of stuff going on in Corinth and things like that. So that was pretty interesting. So they present that idea to the rest of the group because all the groups kind of share out their ideas. And they said, we're going to do a selfie wall. And our first step is going to be trying to find a location for it and things like that. Well, a guy in another group stands up and says, look, I, I own one of the uh, popular restaurants downtown. I've got this big blank wall on the side of my building right in the middle of downtown. You're welcome to use that if you want to. So that kind of spoke to the whole strategic doing uh, philosophy right there. They're using what they had in that room. So before they even left the workshop, somebody else had shared the resource they had. They had a location for their mural. And that group got to work right off the bat. They got a local artist. They incorporated some just, uh, history of the town in the mural. And they had that whole thing done in like three months. It was incredible. Uh, and I've worked with dozens of communities that have been talking about doing a mural. And they've been talking about that for decades and hadn't got it done yet. So from conception to completion in about three months, you know, that was, that was great for me. And obviously that's not a large scale change. And that thing alone is not going to change the perception and get to what they're really wanting to tackle. But they realized that that was just that one piece toward a bigger puzzle that they're trying to accomplish there. This, you know, that one bite of an elephant type thing. And so that is a project that I felt like really exemplified what we're trying to do. Have these bigger ideas, that's great. But you got to break it down into these little doable steps that you can actually tackle and accomplish. One of the things I love about strategic doing, and there's a lot that I do, I could talk forever about it, but, but it's the variety of situations and contexts and groups with which we get to use this tool. Um, so Jeremy gave a great example of us using it at a very local, very small scale with a community. But we've also been fortunate to use it as a tool with kind of larger initiatives and bigger scales. Uh, actually, this past year, we had the opportunity of working with uh, all of the community colleges here in Mississippi on a specific issue. So in our state, we've got, I believe, 15 community colleges and they're kind of arranged in, they've arranged themselves in kind of a consortium. Uh, but within that, it's specifically these consortiums we're looking at workforce development issues. Um, and so we got contacted by a friend of ours who works with uh, one of the community colleges in the northeast area of Mississippi. We've worked with them on other projects and and uh, we actually used strategic doing with him and his staff to help them. They wanted an alternative to doing a traditional strategic plan just to figure out stuff within their department. So we used strategic doing. They enjoyed that process so much. He said, hey, you know, we're I'm part of this committee that's working with the consortium. And in the consortium every year is looking at different ways that we can kind of align and move things forward. And we started talking about, you know, a big issue within workforce that, that a lot of people haven't been talking about. It's not necessarily the trainings, because I think our community colleges are doing a very good job with the training component. It was the issue of workforce participation rates. So, you know, we can do a great job training, but what if we don't have, how, what are we going to do about getting more people to participate actively in our workforce? And, and the community colleges recognize that's a big issue and they know that they alone won't solve it. And, but the consortiums wanted to know what could they as community colleges do to become catalysts to improve that. So it was a really interesting question. Um, and it was really interesting because you want to talk about a complex, difficult challenge. How do you get more people actively involved in the workforce? There's so many variables that go into that. And I'm not trying to say we solved that issue because we haven't. But what we did, though, was a, we were able to use strategic doing as a way to bring in representatives from all 15 community colleges who were divided within their consortium. And we posed this question of, you know, imagine Mississippi Community College colleges individually and as a system serving as a catalyst 
to improve workforce participation? What could your role be and what would that look like? And so over the course of about a day, maybe it was a day and a half, we went through the strategic doing process and they went through identifying because each consortium is different, like each community college is different. And they all bring different resources. So they all kind of outlined and mapped the resources that they had and started talking about innovative ways they could link and leverage their resources within their region to begin to increase and drive higher participation rates within workforce. Uh, and we got to a point where they're identifying, as Jeremy said, those Pathfinder projects that they're in the process now of going out and implementing to see how can we identify, you know, a small scale way to increase workforce. And, and if it works in one region of consortium, it might work in another part of the state. And so they're really using it as kind of a learning lab to where they can come up with ideas, test them, see what works. And hopefully the most promising ones, we can kind of start rolling out at a larger statewide scale. Um, so that was just kind of a broader regional context of how it's been used. All of that tracks with when UCA outreach participated in strategic doing. So, um, and our, I remember feeling really excited after our session and we got stuff done. <laughs> so, um, so what is one piece of advice you have for community leaders looking to activate their citizens ideas and energy in the community development process? One of the things I think that uh, I would say is this idea of, I've said it a lot, it's the idea of doing the doable with relentless effort. I kind of always say that over and over. If you're asking me for one piece of advice, I would encourage, strongly encourage community leaders to focus on the idea of doing the doable, right? There is always something that you can do to address a challenge or something that's going on. Um, a lot of times folks are frustrated because there hasn't been action on a particular issue or because that issue seems so large they don't know where to start. Um, while strategic doing is a set process that we go through and it basically help them begin to learn how to take that first bite and where to take it, the idea is we've got to do something and you've got to start doing something. Um, it gets back to that idea of start with what you have. You know, by starting with the resources that you have on hand, I guarantee you there's something you can do. It may not be the biggest thing. It may not be the largest thing, um, but it is a start. And sometimes that's what group want, groups want. I mean, I hear it all the time in a community. There's groups that say we want to work together. We just, they're kind of doing this dance, this dance of we want to work together, but we just don't know how, we don't know where, or they're paranoid that the first step they do or the first thing they do might be the wrong thing, you know? And I think the only thing worse than picking the wrong, wrong thing is picking nothing. You know, so so we encourage them to, to really focus on doing the doable. And then I say that with relentless effort, because it's not going to be, again, just one small thing that you do that's going to transform everything and fix it. It's going to be kind of finding that one thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And and it really does build, you know, success builds success. So so I would encourage people to to do the doable, you know, to start with what you have and then be willing to experiment. Um, one of the things that I like, this came from someone we were working with in Washington County here in Mississippi. We were talking about strategic doing and introducing the tool. It was a community foundation. And she said, Joe, you know what I love most about strategic doing is it feels like it's given me and my board the permission to try something. Because so often, whether it's a board or an organization or a group, they get so scared that that first step is going to be wrong. And they're like, through strategic doing, we've used our resources, we're trying something. And if it doesn't work, that is okay. Because if we are truly honest with ourselves, as community members, as economic developers, we don't know that whatever initiative we're going to do is going to work. 
we hope it works. We've probably got a lot of planning and a lot of research and gathered a lot of data. So we hope it's going to work, but we really don't know. And we won't know until we experiment and try it. Um, business people get this. Entrepreneurs get it. You know, they always say, if you talk to an entrepreneur and say, you know, they'll say, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail fast and fail cheap, right? Because they want to find out quick if it's working. Well, we need to be doing the same thing in our communities. We need to have an idea, say, we got the, with these resources, we could do this. Let's try it. Let's try a smaller scale version before we invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this. Let's find a small scale pilot version we can do. If it works, fantastic. We'll figure out how to scale it up. If it doesn't work, what did we learn from it and how do we apply it to the next thing? Yeah, the, the one piece of advice, that's a tough question. I like Joe's do the dual. I'll, I'll second that. Uh, if I had to think of something else, uh, it goes along with that. It, it's Joe's saying do the doable. So you got to find the doers. And we call those people spark plugs. Find and support the spark plugs in your community. A spark plug is a person that would rather do something about a problem than sit around and complain about it. I feel like a lot of people, a lot of community leaders especially, spin their wheels trying to get the sore heads on board. And they just spend all their time trying to convince those people to get on board. And the reality is they're probably never going to be. And I find that despite how it feels, those people are typically the vocal minority. And you got to focus on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, we tell, this is really scientific, so y'all get right to this. We usually ask people, said, who are the people that are doing cool stuff in your community? Who are the people that are taking a risk and opening up a new business? Who are people that are running a tutoring program after school just because they saw a need or have a passion for helping kids learn how to read? Maybe it's a, an artist or somebody that organized a festival or cool event in your town. Maybe it's the guy that's been renovating buildings in your downtown long before that was the cool thing to do. Find those people that are doing cool stuff and how can you support them and help them do their work easier? Not micromanage them and take over or stand in their way. How can you empower them to do more things and do it more efficiently? Because as community leaders, you probably have a lot more resources and, and things that you can connect them to that these people are just volunteers or spark plugs may not know how to do. Uh, and the other thing is, as a leader, you probably know all these different things that are going on in your community, but these people may not know about each other. And so you can connect those dots between these spark plugs and, and introduce them to each other. Because even if they might be working on different things, one might be doing a tutoring program, the other one's renovating a building, chances are they're very similar, uh, have very similar mindsets. And so how can you connect the dots? And I always say that these people a lot of times travel in packs. You, you can go to a, a coffee shop or, or somewhere and they're gonna be sitting around in a group talking about things that they wanna do to help their community. They're not sitting there complaining about all the things that are wrong. They're talking about what they can do about it. And those are the people that you've gotta find and support uh, and empower them to do things. I, I promise you that you can start to chip away at these messy problems that you're facing, but you're gonna have to do it in these small incremental steps. It's not gonna be this one big punch that knocks it out. Yeah, that's such good advice. Um, and you know, that the whole strategic doing process kind of reminds me of a Theodore Roosevelt quote. He's, he's my favorite president because he's just the coolest. Uh, the quote is, do what you can with what you have where you are. And I think that kind of embodies the, the whole process and that, that advice that you guys just gave us. Um, so, so Joe and Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today about your work. Uh, we love working with you both to facilitate strategic doing in communities around Arkansas to encourage community action on the citizen level. And we're looking forward to continuing our work with you once we're all able to safely work together in person.
on upcoming episodes of the CDI podcast. We'll feature CDI graduates and participants, community partners, and community and economic development experts from across Arkansas and the Mid-South. We hope you join us next week on the CDI podcast.